The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Good morning. I'm Brian Curtis. And I'm Doug Krisner. Here are the stories we're following today. Will New Hampshire crown Donald Trump or will Nikki Haley find a path to close the gap? Let's get Ed Baxter in the 960 newsroom in San Francisco for that and more. Ed. Yeah, thank you. Sounds like you were uh, weaving a mystery tale there. All eyes, Brian, pointing to tomorrow's primary. The Haley campaign is tamping down some expectations or campaign chair. New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu says it is not a must win. Nikki's the one that's been surging. She had a very good showing in Iowa. We, right now, the, the, I think she just has to show that she's building on that here. If she can win, that'd be amazing, right? It doesn't have to happen. Um, carry that kind of momentum into South Carolina, into her home state. But Bloomberg's Kaylee Lyons says the message is very clear. He thinks Nikki Haley still could have a chance. That said, he and even Nikki Haley herself are starting to set the bar lower for her as we actually approach primary day tomorrow. He's suggesting that a strong second place showing something better than Iowa will be enough momentum to carry her forward in this race towards South Carolina, for example, which, yes, is her home state where she served as governor, yet she is still pulling even farther below him there. And the latest polling this morning has her trailing Donald Trump by 19 points. But turnout is a big question. Independents have polled very strongly toward Haley. We will have full coverage tomorrow. U.S. and U.K. have carried out airstrikes against eight Houthi targets in Yemen today. They struck an underground storage site that was used for missile and surveillance capabilities. The U.S. is saying the hits have removed significant Houthi strike capabilities. The lines between U.S. and Israel growing more stark today as NIC official John Kirby calls on Israel to be forthcoming with a full investigation of the death of a 17-year-old Palestinian-American on the West Bank. We call on Israel to conduct a full, thorough, transparent uh, investigation into his killing. Uh, and, of course, we have every expectation uh, that those uh, that those responsible for it will be held properly accountable. Uh, Kirby says Israel needs to be uh, honest with the U.S. EU's foreign policy chief Joseph Borrell says Israel's bombardment of Gaza is failing to root out Hamas and is seeding hate for years to come. Elon Musk today addressing criticisms that he is anti-Semitic as well as that the X platform allows hate speech. He says not so. Both. This at the European Jewish Association in Krakow, Poland. Uh, now, Musk says it allows freedom of speech, X does, and that there are safeguards against falsehoods. Put um, maximum resources and attention behind community notes. So if somebody tries to push a falsehood, like Holocaust denial or something like that, they can immediately be corrected. And, and, they, and you can't get rid of the tag. <laughs> it's like stuck on you. And Musk says two-thirds of his friends are Jewish. A split U.S. Supreme Court has ruled the Biden administration can remove parts of a fence along the southern border built by Texas to stem immigration. And a magnitude 7.1 earthquake struck a remote part of China's western Xinjiang region um, early today. Uh, Xinhua saying no immediate reports of damage or fatalities. Global News 24 hours a day and whenever you want it with Bloomberg News Now in San Francisco. I'm Ed Baxter and this is Bloomberg. All right, B.C.? 
All right. Thanks very much, Ed. I'm Brian Curtis, along with Doug Krisner. And Doug, you know, I just saw a headline passing on the Bloomberg Terminal that Toyota Motor has passed Tencent to become Asia's third largest stock. And boy, doesn't that say a lot about the difference between what we've seen with the uh, Tokyo stock market and with Hong Kong. And we'll get to a little bit more coverage on this in a few moments. But while we're talking about Japan, the Bank of Japan will probably hold policy unchanged at its meeting today. We get more from Bloomberg's Stephen Engel in Tokyo. They're just being cautious because they want more of a virtuous cycle uh, in the economy and in inflation and in particular wage gains. And keep in mind, in March is the beginning of negotiations uh, between unions and companies on you know, wage hikes. And if we can see higher wage gains in those negotiations, more than the hikes that we saw last year, that will help set up the conditions that uh, Governor Ueda has sort of set uh, for uh, exiting the negative rates, but also the yield curve control. Bloomberg, Stephen Engel. And we had this from the Nikkei newspaper this morning that the Bank of Japan is set to revise its price outlook through fiscal 2025. So bringing those prices down is expectations for this year and also next year. And there's a big, broad suggestion on that, Doug, that uh, the BOJ sees waning inflation. Yeah, I think we have to wait for uh, some of these wage negotiations, but they don't get underway until March. So the issue is whether or not the BOJ would even want to begin to be preemptive ahead of those negotiations. So we move from Japan to China and Premier Li Chung. He's calling for more forceful measures now to stabilize the Chinese equity market. We have this from Bloomberg's Joanne Wong in Hong Kong. Li wants to rebuild investor confidence. China's benchmark CSI 300 hit a five-year low in Monday trading. Beijing's policy response so far has failed to impress investors. They've been hoping for easier monetary conditions or a big lift in fiscal stimulus. Yesterday, the state council received a briefing on capital market operations, but no details have emerged on whatever fixes are being planned. In Hong Kong, I'm Joanne Wong, Bloomberg Radio. You know, it's interesting, Brian. I saw a piece on the Bloomberg Terminal today. The head of investment strategy over at BNY Mellon Wealth Management. She is Alicia Levine, and she was saying that BNY Mellon is pulling clients out of China, and their concern here is that the Communist Party has too much influence on corporations. That's really not new news, but what may be driving a lot of the decision-making is just this route that we have seen in, in the equity market in China and in Hong Kong as well. Yes, I think that's a very big part of it. And, you know, if you were listening to Odd Lots earlier, you had commentary there uh, that China doesn't really care that much about the financial uh, markets. And, well, here we just reported that Premier Li Chung is talking about needing more forceful measures. But it's also telling, Doug, that we had no details from that. The state council looked at, at the capital markets, analyzed it. We had those comments from Li Chung. But they still, they, they want the market to, uh, to, to be selling China for them. Uh, but they're not able to achieve achieve it through some of the measures that they've been enacted. And also, there's another story that uh, I'll report on in more detail later when we get to the media review. And this is an interesting one. China's ambassador to the Netherlands has told a Dutch newspaper that Beijing might retaliate against the U.S. for its policy on chips. And what's interesting about this is that the, the ambassador, Tan Jian, was, was trying to seduce the European Union. He was saying that the EU can avoid getting swept up in China's response. Yeah in essence, if it, if it plays ball. And uh, so that's a very interesting story that we'll take a closer look at a little bit later. Now, you mentioned earlier that Archer Daniels Midland 
uh, had cut its earnings outlook, and the stock was down 24% today. That's the most on record. Let's take a closer look. This is pending an investigation into the company's accounting practices. Bloomberg's Simon Casey with more. They've been trying to grow this business, but they kind of hit a bit of a wall. It hasn't really fulfilled the highest expectations. With that background in mind, they then said yesterday, we've suspended the CFO. We are looking specifically at this unit, not the trading business, not the corporate business, but this ingredients unit, as it's called, and inter-segment transactions, which suggests transactions between the nutrition's unit and other parts of the business. Again, the worst day ever for ADM. The share's down 24%. The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. All right, let's bring in Michael Shepard. He is a Bloomberg executive editor. We're going to be taking a look at what's happening tomorrow in New Hampshire, the GOP primary. Uh, Michael is reporting from on the ground in New Hampshire. Thanks for joining us. It's all over but the trumpets. Can I say that and get away with it? You know, I never like to make a prediction or say it's over until it really is over and we get the votes counted. New Hampshire is famous for surprises. And yet, I think that we are heading toward what could be another Trump victory based on the polling that we're seeing ahead of the actual primary kicking off in a couple of hours. Michael, Trump is obviously is sort of the leader of the pack when it comes to America first. Um, Nikki Haley is a bit more of a globalist. So when we look at, it, at, a, at an issue like immigration, we heard in Iowa that this was one of the top issues. Uh, immigration, obviously, is a very big story for the southern United States. But does it really resonate in, in New Hampshire? Well, it's not resonating quite. Quite as much in New Hampshire, although I wouldn't say it's a zero factor. I will tell you that when we were in Iowa, which is about a thousand miles from the U.S. border with Mexico, uh, it was very strong as an issue. Every voter that we talked to at a number of events brought it up as something that was even more important to them really than the economy, which they recognized mattered. But the border, it was border, border, border. We have to do something. Here, a little bit less so. And I think that's in part because we see a more moderate, more independent mix of voters here in New Hampshire than we do in Iowa. That's because there's an open primary, so independents can vote tomorrow. But I'm curious about how the GOP within New Hampshire has changed. I mean, I think of Sununu, I think of more of the establishment wing on one hand, but we know that former President Trump has essentially remade the Republican Party in his image. I mean, how does it break out when you just look at the Republican Party in New Hampshire these days? Well, it's a good question. We've been talking to a lot of local Republican officials, including the head of the the state Republican Party. And we interviewed, of course, Governor Chris Sununu on Bloomberg television yesterday. The key theme that emerged is that the popularity of somebody like Chris Sununu, who really connects to the retail level, knows just about every voter in the state, it seems, and is welcomed in every coffee shop and uh, and diner, uh, you know, from from the shore to the mountains. Um, that has a different sort of resonance than the people who are trying to vote at the national level for Trump. And so both things can be true in a way. Uh, the state, remember, in the general election uh, almost four years ago, they went for President Joe Biden. They voted for Joe Biden, but they also elected Chris Sununu. So at the same time, at the primary level, you will see Republican voters 
more likely to turn out for Trump. He has won his two primaries here in uh, 2016 and in 2020 when he faced an upstart challenge from the former Massachusetts governor. And he has spent all that time uh, over the eight years building a network here. And his message does have some resonance. For Nikki Haley, let's say she closes the gap a little but still has a broad loss. What are you hearing from the people you talk to about the path forward for Haley? Well, the path forward is not easy to begin with. It's narrow. And even her campaign and her allies, including uh, Governor Sununu, recognize this. What she wants, short of an upset, is something to at least keep it close so that she has momentum to carry her to her home state of South Carolina, which is holding its primary on February 24th, and then the 15 primaries that follow on Super Tuesday, March 5th. If she is able to at least show that she can keep it close, that this is a credible two-person race, then not only will the donor dollars continue to flow, then you will also see maybe voters, now that they see a two-person race, this is the uh, campaign and her allies' view, then voters may change their minds and move away from Trump. But South Carolina is a tough nut to crack, even for her. She was the former governor, uh, served as governor there for six years. Polls there show her trailing the former president by as many as 30 points. Michael, do you have a sense among voters in New Hampshire, I mean, I'm speaking very broadly here, uh, about the appetite for um, a third-party candidate? I know the No Labels group has been trying to make a bit of headway here. Is that part of the conversation at all? It's emerged from some people, but honestly, it doesn't come up quite as often as you would think. It seems to be a, uh, an issue or a question that is kicked around a little bit more in Washington rather than on the outside. There is one candidate who is catching some attention uh, as a, you know, an outside contender, and that is Robert, uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. We see in our own Bloomberg News Morning Consult poll that he is actually uh, drawing some double-digit support in states including Georgia and Michigan and a few of the others that are seen as key to deciding the election uh, next November. Um, And that could pose a problem for Joe Biden, but it also could pose a problem for Donald Trump. It's unclear whether he draws more from one of the two rather than the other. Should President Biden have more of a presence uh, out on the campaign trail, or is it just too early? Well, you know, he is starting to ramp up events, and he is this week, in fact, uh, you know, kicking off a campaign that's really aimed at women voters. He'll be talking much more about abortion rights at a series of events. This is tied, of course, to the anniversary, 51st anniversary of the Roe v. Wade Supreme Court decision that has since been overturned. He'll be doing an event with Vice President Harris in Virginia uh, this week. So he is starting to amp up his presence on the campaign trail. And we will be seeing him do a lot more of this. One place, of course, he is concentrating is his home state, his birth state of Pennsylvania, where he has made regular visits already throughout his presidency. And we'll be looking to see him do a lot more of that. Yeah, big swing state for Biden, no doubt. Uh, very quickly, Michael, uh, 20 seconds. Is the economy still uh, the biggest issue right now in, in this race tomorrow? You know, the border is really... Uh, take you know almost uh overtaking oh. the uh the economy not only based on our polling but just based on what we're hearing and that, that is something we're going to be following very closely 
This is Bloomberg Daybreak Asia, your morning brief on the stories making news from Hong Kong to Singapore and Wall Street. Look for us on your podcast feed every day on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcast. You can also listen live each day on Bloomberg 1130 in New York, Bloomberg 991 in Washington, Bloomberg 1061 in Boston, and Bloomberg 960 in San Francisco. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Plus, listen coast to coast on the Bloomberg Business app, Sirius XM, the iHeartRadio app, and on Bloomberg.com. I'm Brian Curtis. And I'm Doug Krisner. Join us again tomorrow for all the news you need to start your day right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.